from New York Women in Film and Television, this is Shot Callers, a podcast that celebrates the work of women behind the scenes and in front of the camera in film, television, and digital media. Thanks so much for tuning in. I'm your host, Destiny Lilly. I want to alert all of our listeners to the upcoming Designing Women Awards, sponsored by NYWIFT, of course, and Variety. Designing Women honors women behind the scenes in costume, makeup, and hair. Um, And our guest today, Katie Irish, is a costume designer who was honored as part of the ensemble for the Americans a few years back. This year, we're honoring costume designer Sarah Edwards, who's worked on Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and The Secret Life of Walter Mitty. Makeup artist Anita Gibson, who works on Power and the HBO movie Confirmation. Hairstylist Rose Chatterton, who works on Shades of Blue, The Nick and The Good Wife. And the Variety Ensemble Award is going to the costume, makeup, and hair design team for The Affair on Showtime. And we have a fabulous group of presenters lined up. Will Arnett, Ray Liotta, Maura Tierney, and Layla Loren are all going to present. It's on June 13th in New York. And you can buy tickets by visiting nywift.org forward slash design. Now, without further ado, my conversation with Katie Irish. Hey, everybody. This is Destiny. Today, I'm here with Katie Irish, costume designer. Katie, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for having me. So, Katie, we've known each other for a while, and it's really exciting to sit down with you and talk to you about, you know, your career, because it's something that a lot of the time, even though people know each other, we don't really get a chance to talk about, like, the ins and outs of, like, how you manage your career and how you got to where you are today. So it's really exciting to be here. Um, So I want to, like, start out, what originally drew you to working in the industry? I was one of those kids that did all of the community plays. I acted, I think my first play I was in sixth grade, and it was Anna Green Gables. I went to an all-girls school, and I was playing a boy in the show, (laughs) you know, that kind of thing. Um, And so I enjoyed doing theater all through high school and decided that I would like to make a career of it and went to college for it. Um, When I was at college at uh, University of Tulsa, it was a Bachelor of Arts program, not a BFA. And so that meant that we had to direct, we had to stage manage, we had to take design courses. You couldn't just be an actor. Um, And so I took my set design class first, and I was never happier to get rid of a scale ruler than after that (laughs) set design class was done. Um, And then first semester of my junior year, I took a costume design course. And I actually had that kind of eureka moment where the heavens parted and the angels sang, and I was thinking, this is what I want to do with the rest of my life. Uh, I realized that I probably had come to it a little bit late, and so I thought that grad school probably would be good. Could you sew? Could you, did I you had, have any of those skills? I had worked in the costume shop at TU since uh, my freshman year. Basically, it was a lot of fun. The woman who was our designer is a mentor and friend to me still, named Island Hicks. And she was a fantastic woman who was just a lot of fun to be around. And it was a really great work study. It was a fun place to be. It was a good skill to have, I thought. I enjoyed it. And so I did that. And I had also 
been on the running crews doing costume changes and prepping and all of that kind of thing for all of the different productions that we did. Great. So what, um, what was your first job, maybe like paid or unpaid, what was your first job like as a costume designer? Being in the right place at the right time really is huge for this. But right after I graduated from TU, Island um, decided to take a position at a different university. And so TU was left with a vacancy for a year for mm. a resident designer and costume shop manager. And here was this brand new graduate who had done the program who knew all about it. So all of a sudden I was paid to be the resident designer. And so I did five shows that year and a dance piece and I ran the costume shop. And it was a really fantastic experience for me because it was a professional job, but it also had that comfort of being academia and being people that I knew and I had worked with and really grown up as an artist with. Wow, and that's exciting because it must have really forced you to like step up too because you had a professional job right out of college. Absolutely, absolutely. It really, and you don't want to let these people down. They trust you. They've, they've said, you're young, but you know what? We think you can do it. And their trust in me was a very big driving force. That's great. So eventually you left Tulsa and came to New York. I did. Tell us why you decided to come to New York. I, as I mentioned, I uh, figured out pretty early on once I decided I wanted to be a costume designer that I would need to go to graduate school. I hadn't had an art class since elementary school. <laughs> I couldn't really draw. And, you know, I tried to cram those things in in my last year in school, but there's only so many courses you can take. And so while I was working that year, I worked on kind of developing my portfolio and really figuring out what schools I was interested in applying to. And it really came down to the fact that I wanted to live in New York, so why would I go to school elsewhere? So I uh, applied to NYU and came up here and interviewed. And then I magically got accepted <laughs> and moved up here the following summer and went to NYU. That's fantastic. So at NYU, you studied... I studied costume design for stage and film. Fantastic. So you got both of those things. I did. And you have, um, you've worked both for stage, you know, you've done theater, as well as, as doing film and TV. What are the major differences between designing for theater versus film and TV? It's the same skill set, but what it is, is how much the audience sees. Mm. In theater, I can't control where an audience member is looking. They could be looking at the person in the back left picking his nose, or they could be staring at the front audience, you know, the front, sorry, the, um, or they could be staring at the actor at the front of the stage. Mm -hmm. In film and TV, the camera really focuses where you are looking. Also, because in film and TV we have a camera and we can do close-ups, I can do things that are very fine. I can do fabrics that have a really subtle print or mm -hmm. very delicate necklace. In theater, obviously it depends on how big your house is, but if you're doing something in you know, a huge house like the Met, then anything fine, like a fine gold chain, no one is going to see. Right. And so it's about scale. Mm -hmm. So, Katie, you're the costume designer for the Americans, and this year one of your leads was pregnant. So how did you deal with that? Well, it was a challenge, honestly, because it was not going to be written into the script. Mm -hmm. And so we had to find ways to disguise it. And also, Carrie was fantastic because she has two other children, and so she kind of knew her body and she knew how she was going to carry. 
And so she was really instrumental in saying, I think this could work, I think this could work, and kind of giving me ideas about it. Thank God the Americans takes place in fall and winter, is all I have to say. <laughs> uh, sweaters were a really big thing for us. The way that Carrie actually carried, however, was it, it enabled us to do things that had texture or pattern and just distracting the eye enough that it really kind of made it go away and you really couldn't see from either straight on or straight behind. So we did a lot of like cable knit sweaters or a blouse with a pattern. The other thing is those double pleat pants that everyone loves from the 80s because they made all of us look pregnant. Well, great. If you're already pregnant, they can't make you look any more pregnant. So it really worked on her because it had a little bit of the fullness built into the pants because of those pleats. But then it still had that nice long line that everybody wants to look taller and thinner. That's great. So this is your first season. You just wrapped your first season as costume designer for the Americans. Tell me how you ended up working on that show. I actually started in the middle of the first season on episode six as an additional day player who was doing some shopping. I got a call on a Friday seeing if I was available to shop, and I happened to be. And on Monday, I started, and I was meant to work three days that week because they had a huge scene with a lot of extras coming up. And so I was shopping just for that one scene. And then I just kept going and they kept paying me. <laughs> and so I shopped for the remainder of the first season. And then at the end of that first season, the assistant designer uh, told the designer at that point, Jenny Gehring, that she was going to move on to another project. And so Jenny asked if I would be interested in being her assistant. And I said, absolutely. And Jenny and I did the second and the third seasons together where she designed and I was her assistant. And as her assistant, I did kind of all of the background. And because it's a period show, that means dressing every person that you see. Right. They can't just bring their own clothes. They, well, they can. And sometimes depending on, you know, what we're doing, like people on a bus, they can bring their own clothes and then we'll give them a coat ah. or that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. it, you know, again, this is one of those times where it's really great that it's on camera. And so mm -hmm. we know where people are looking as opposed to being in theater where we really would outfit everybody head to toe. Right, right. Because, um, like, the shoes could be wrong if you're not going to see the shoes. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. You know, and actors, same thing. You know, if it's a shot from the waist up, no one's wearing their heels. Everyone's got their Ugg <laughs> boots on, standing, being all happy. So, um, so I did all of the background and dealt with that and um, also helped Jenny with all of the principal and day players. And then after the third season, Jenny decided she would like to move on and do other things. She was doing a big uh, feature film and had a couple of other things on her plate. And so I, I was suggested as the next designer. And the cat, the cat, blah, 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 start again. I was suggested as the next designer. And so first I had to get approval from the people that I worked with, so Carrie and Matthew had to say that they were okay with that, and then also the show's producers had to say they were okay with that, and then it had to be approved by the studio, and they had to be okay with that, <laughs> so there were a lot of like levels on it, and I found out in mid-August that I was going to be the designer, and I had been approved, and we started in mid-September. That's fantastic. It was great. Sounds stressful, but fantastic. <laughs> Stress in the best possible way. Yeah. So how do you approach doing costumes for a period show? 
we do a lot of research. I mean, I was around in 1983, 84, but I was not paying attention to what people were wearing <laughs> at that point. And so I look at everything. I look at yearbooks. I love yearbooks, mm-hmm. especially because it's how people styled themselves. Mm-hmm. It's not about a catalog where you see like, this is how it's supposed to look. Catalogs are great and they're, you know, they can, I also use them. But the thing about yearbooks, again, is you really get personality mm-hmm. through it. Mm-hmm. Um, I use magazines, you know, any kind of catalogs, ads, uh, movies from the time, music mm-hmm. videos, anything like that that was in the culture. You know, Thriller came out, and all of a sudden, mm. everybody had a red leather jacket or wanted one. <laughs> so, you know, that kind of thing really, really matters. And so I start off by seeing what was out there, what was popular, and really making it so that way I know, like the back of my hand, and I can look at something and go, yes, that's right for this, or no, that's not right for this. And then you go and you look at your characters and who these people are, and you begin to suss out, like, okay, what's what would he wear? What would she wear? You know, Stan, our FBI agent, is always going to be Stan, our FBI agent. Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. there was a great line this year where um, in this season he's playing, he's playing Trivial Pursuit with his son. And he's like, what, did you think I was an FBI agent when I was eight? And his son <laughs> was like, uh, yeah, I did. And so it just... So how he dresses is very different from how his son, who is in high school, is going to dress. Mm -hmm. And how his son dresses is very different from how Henry is going to dress. So Mm -hmm. you just, you look at all of the different characters and then can begin to assemble who they are through their clothes. Yeah, one of the things I've loved about watching the show is the evolution and style of the characters, particularly Paige, the daughter. Um, I'm curious how you picked up, you know, from where previous designers left off, to continue to make her style like cohesive, but show that she's growing and developing into a young woman. Jenny established a very specific color palette for the whole show, <clears throat> and we really have maintained that. And the color palette and largely silhouettes have stayed similar. Uh, when the show started, it was 1980, so there was a little more 70s in everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, all of a sudden Paige isn't going to start wearing very frilly dresses cause that's mm-hmm. not who Paige is. Paige has always been someone who kind of wears boots a little more or clogs, something that's a heavier soled shoe. Mm-hmm. She's the girl who she absolutely wears skirts. Don't get me wrong, but there's something that isn't necessarily prissy or girly about it. Even though she curls her hair, she does wear the accessories. She does that part of it. And so we really wanted to keep that because the idea is that, you know, the same people are shopping for these clothes. You know, the I, Elizabeth takes Paige shopping and mm-hmm. she's like, okay, I'm picking this out. And so as you grow up, you try new pieces and the years go by and you're like, oh, okay. So the color palette shifts a little bit, but what you're drawn to doesn't necessarily change. That's awesome. So I think another fascinating thing about that show in particular is the fact that you have not only the characters dressed as themselves, but also dressed in disguises. So how do you make those work? Because that also is coordinating with, you know, the hair and the makeup. We have a fantastic hair and makeup team. I love working with Peg and Lori. And oftentimes the disguises actually start with them. They will do fittings with uh, Carrie and Matthew and put together all of these different looks. 
and we don't necessarily know what goes where, but mm -hmm. they're like, we have this, and they show a photo. Mm -hmm. And you're like, okay, that could be great for this person. And so then based on what the writers have, the writers always give us a little blurb, even if it's not written into the script, about who this person is. Like, you know, is this person work in an office or do, you know, what do they do? And so that coupled with hair and makeup or any kind of, you know, prosthetics they want to use or things like that begins to shape what I do. And then one of the most important things for me is keeping the disguises as far away from their everyday clothes as possible. Mm -hmm. So, you know, they could still be casual, but I need to make sure that if Philip is in disguise, he's not wearing something that Philip as Philip would wear. And so those are the ones that actually start to get tricky when, mm. you know, it's a character not too dissimilar from who they actually are. Mm. Mm. And so that's when we change silhouette. And that's why, per your previous question, keeping those kind of very fundamental silhouettes and color palettes for the characters is really important. Yeah, it's, and it's so incredibly complex, but it really comes across in the storytelling because it allows, you know, as an audience member for us to understand what's happening in the story through things as simple as like, you know, like you said, like the silhouette, the color palette, you know, the way that the hair and makeup looks so much of that is telling us the story in addition to, you know, the dialogue and what we're seeing. I think that's so fantastic, Katie. Um, no, I, I really find it fascinating and it's, it's so much um, simpler than just picking out clothes. I think sometimes people think it's like, Oh, you just like go shopping, you pick out some clothes and you put the clothes on. And it's like, it's a lot more than that. <laughs> I wish it were that easy. I wish it were. There are so many times where you know that the right piece is out there, but you can't find it, but we don't have time to build it. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just there, there are a lot of really specific challenges with any project. And that, I think, oftentimes breeds the most creativity because you know what you want, but sometimes you can't find it. So you have to find something else. Yeah. So you're a NIWIF member. I am. Um, and... I wanted to ask you about how being a member of an organization like NIWIFT or any other organizations, like you're a member of a union, right? I am, yes. Like how have those um, affiliations impacted your career? NIWIFT has been really fantastic for me for networking. It's oftentimes difficult for me especially, and probably for others, when you get working, you know all the people who work around you. And you become a little family because you spend more time with them than you do with anybody else. <laughs> with your actual family. With your actual family, <laughs> exactly. And so when you rap or when, God forbid, you have a free evening <laughs> and you go out and there are other people, but you're, you don't know them. You don't know who they are. It can be isolating mm -hmm. to not feel like you have a community who understands what you do or the problems that you may encounter. Mm -hmm. And for me, NIWIFT has been really fantastic for that because it's a community and it's not just other female costume designers. It's other women working in these industries. So there are things that go across all of our, you know, all of our industry that are universal, that aren't just specific to me, that other people are going to have different perspectives on because of what they do within our industry. And I love that. So I love all of the networking um, the screenings are fantastic. It's a great way to see what other people are doing, what's out there, and keep current because, God forbid, you don't know what's going on in the industry. That's true. It will leave you behind. Um, and I am a member of a union. Um, the costume designers in New York belong to United Scenic Artists 829. Mm -hmm. And in addition to just, you know, 
all of the things that you want a union to do, which is governing all of your pay and making sure you work in a safe environment and all of those good things. Again, it's also a community. It's also people who more specifically know what you do. And so you can come together and say, hey, I've got a question. This isn't working specifically in my shop. How else do you guys solve this? Because I can't be the only one having this problem. Right, yeah. And it's fascinating, too, because costume design is one of the disciplines within the industry that tends to have actually more women than men, but that's not the case in many other areas of the industry. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Excuse me. Um, No, costume design does have tend to have a lot of women in it. Um, There are men, but Mm -hmm. we do tend to predominantly be women. But no, I mean, there are cinematographers who it's still a very largely male field. Mm-hmm. Casting is still a very largely male field. Uh, directors, God. <laughs> I'm actually really thrilled. The Americans this past season had three female directors. Oh, that's fantastic. For thir- in 13 episodes. Yeah, and so that's great. a really great thing that I'm really proud of. And we have a lot of women on our writing team, which I think results in really balanced, well-written, complex characters, both men and women, because you have both sides weighing in on on these characters. Yeah, and I think, I mean, there are shows that do 24 episodes that don't have three women direct in a season. Mm -hmm. And I think it's fascinating because you need those different perspectives. I mean, you often have, if you have a group of writers who are all pretty similar, they're all going to see things from basically the same way. And having those different perspectives, I think, is what makes the show a strong show because they're able to do something that is more well-rounded and that has those different perspectives. So I think that's great. I'm so excited about that. So Katie, you've worked in film as well. Tell me a bit about your film work. I have worked in film. I have a film company with three partners called Chart Oak Films and we formed the company as a way to, to work. None of us was getting work on films because we hadn't worked on films in that mm-hmm. horrible paradox that (laughs) that exists and so we decided to make our own work and so we started by doing music videos and shorts and in that company like in so many things everyone wore so many different hats Mm -hmm. I produced I thank god never acted but (laughs) um, I designed I did set design I prop designed I did you know kind of whatever needed to do I was a UPM I line produced And we did that and were successful and we continued on and we did our first feature called The Widowers, which was released last February. And on that, I was only meant to be the costume designer, but about three weeks before we began principal shooting, it became clear that I was going to need to become the lead producer on that Mm -hmm. as well. And so I, I kind of wore both hats in that I line produced and executive produced and made sure everybody got lunch and, (laughs) you know, all of that good stuff, as well as making sure that everyone was clothed and wearing the correct things and always important, all of that good stuff. Yeah. Lots of fun. Would you like to do that again? Maybe not all the producing, but definitely design for more film. I love film. I really do. I think that for film, you have an extended time period. You have one story and you have an extended time period sometimes not as long as you would like, but to really figure out who these people are and what their arc is. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes there is a little more money, not always, often always, but you know, but sometimes there's a little bit more money to play with in there. 
in TV, we're telling little store, you know, we're telling little films every six, seven days. Mm. And so there are things that you do and you're like, great, I know I've done this. I know it works. And then you go back and like, well, I wonder if I could have done it differently. And in film, it allows you a little bit of time to go back and have that conversation that you can't always do in TV. Mm-hmm. Um, but that being said, I love working in, in both mediums. And I think that hopefully there'll be both in my future. Yeah, I mean, I think that's so awesome. And also, yeah, like in a film, you have more time to kind of plan because you have an idea of what the script's going to be, whereas you might not know what your script for next week is going to be until like a week in advance or so. They're usually pretty good on the Americans about getting us the scripts. Um, That being said, you know, pages come in Mm -hmm. and always and all the changes and you get into the very colors at the very end of the the list and then you go back and you're on double white and so changes always do keep coming and that's the same in film though I mean the rewrites always always happen there's always changes I think that's one of the things that you know makes you really good at what you do is you're someone who's able to deal with changes and I think that's essential to work in this industry period but you you have to be able to deal with last minute changes and make things work and pull things out of the hat and that's definitely one of your strengths Thank you very much. Um, So I wanted to ask you about advice. Is there any advice that you've gotten that you'd like to pass on? Or is there anything like that you wish you had known, you know, 10 years ago? I actually have one of each. (laughs) In in the advice that I would like to pass on, um, someone told me once, when given an opportunity, you have to make the most of it. Mm -hmm. And the large part of this industry is being in the right place at the right time. But if you're in the right place at the right time and you don't do your best work, you're not going to get called again. Mm -hmm. So you have to be there and be ready and willing to do whatever needs to be done to make sure that that project is a success. And it doesn't matter if it's, you know, you're a PA and it involves arranging the flowers in someone's camper Mm -hmm. or going to get coffee for the director and remembering how the director takes it. Or if it's, you know, designing your your first feature, then, you know, you've got to be willing and ready to step up because if you can't step up at that point, you may not get that opportunity again. In the column of I wish I had known long ago, (laughs) never be good at something you don't want to do. Ah, that's good. (laughs) I'm, I'm actually really good with spreadsheets and paperwork. And something that people don't always know about my job is that there's a lot of paperwork. There are a lot of budgets. We do a budget per episode and it's episodic, but it's line by line what each character wears. So it's like, Carrie, in this scene, these boots cost this, these earrings are this. It Mm -hmm. really is that kind of meticulous. There are breakdowns. There's a character breakdown. There's an episode breakdown. And so I am really good at kind of cramming through paperwork and and making it happen. And so someone discovered that. And so I did (laughs) a lot of paperwork for a long time. Um, And it's not my most favorite thing. Uh But Uh it's something that needs always needs to be done. And so it is job security. Hey, job security is important too. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> but yeah, no, I totally understand that. Because sometimes you can be so good at something that no one wants you to do the thing you actually want to do. Exactly. And you're like, but I don't want to do this thing that I happen to be good at. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So have you um, 
do you have any recommendations of any films or TV shows? I mean, other than the Americans, everybody watched the Americans clearly, <laughs> um, but films or TV shows or, or plays that you can recommend, especially those, you know, created by women. Um, one of the things I'm actually most interested in is there's a nonprofit production company that is just getting going called we're all in this together. Oh, I haven't heard. I don't, that. I was gonna say it just, I think it February or March it came out. Um, it really is in backlash to the lack of gender and any kind of diversity in Hollywood currently. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So from the whole Oscars are so white campaign, this was born. And it is a group largely of women. There are men involved, but largely female dominated. Um, I know Catherine Hardwick, the director, and Jessica Chastain and Juliette Binoche are kind oh, yeah. of board members. Uh -huh. And it, their whole purpose is really to drive forward female geared productions mm -hmm. whether that is <clears throat> whether that is a female director or a female producer or female dp or you know things that people believe would be appealing to women um so i'm really interested and intrigued to see what they are going to do with it because there's some big names associated with it mm -hmm. and it's a long time coming i think definitely um I know recently there have been films, Ellen Page's most recent one, where she was talking about how difficult it was to get it made mm -hmm. because time and time again, people were told no one's going to care about this. No one's going, and you know, that's, and that's hard to hear because we do care. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Obviously it's doing very well. So we do yeah. care. Um, so I'm really interested in hearing what they have up their sleeves I also love that there are people as diverse as Lena Dunham with girls and, you know, Amy Sherman Palladino with Gilmore Girls. I mean, mm -hmm. complete opposites, yeah. <laughs> but very fe strong female-driven productions. Mm -hmm. And I love that those are currently on TV and going, and hopefully there are only more in the future. That's awesome. Katie, I really appreciate you joining me. Um, and I look forward to watching more seasons of The Americans. Thanks so much for having me, Destiny. Thanks. Shot Colors is brought to you by New York Women in Film and Television. To find out more, visit nywif.org. Shot Colors is produced by me, Destiny Lilly, and the music is by Lisa Brigantino. If you're interested in getting tickets to Designing Women, visit nywift.org forward slash design. We'll see you on June 13th.